Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, today I want to kind of continue the theme of the last conversations we've been having, which were about judgment and what Jesus is calling us to do in terms of love one another as I have loved you. And we talked about how hard that can be. And just this last weekend, I was at a confirmation. Obviously, it wasn't mine, but I was at a confirmation. And one of the things that the bishop did in his homily that you don't normally see was a direct challenge, mostly to the people who were presenting themselves to be confirmed, but a challenge that essentially said, you know, this is confirmation. When you came up to baptism, your parents chose to put you into the faith. When you came up to Eucharist, you were still developing in terms of you were young. Now you're you're making a decision if you want to be part of the church or not. And he essentially threw down a challenge and said, if this isn't part of something you want to be a part of, you know, don't come up here and get confirmed. But if this is what you want to do and, and you want to be part of Jesus and live Jesus and be an example to the rest of the world, then please, you know, come up. And the message of that, that I think that stood out to me was the part I don't hear very much, which is the challenge says, you know, there's certain tenets of this faith that are essentially non-negotiable. And sometimes there's this misconception that says, it's okay if I don't do them all, as long as I go to confession right before I die, everything will be okay. And those are the two elements I kind of want to discuss in today's podcast, because they don't quite add up. You know, if you, you live your whole life trying to, to work the faith and, and do it as Christ taught you, that there's obviously a lot to that. You live a much better life as as just is shown in virtually every measurable aspect. So I want to discuss there and let the forum be open to you as that's a very open-ended direction and let's see what direction we ought to go. Well, thanks for uh, highlighting that experience that you had, Joe. And I think in terms of someone who really dedicates himself to the faith and keeps growing, I think you're a great example. You know, this uh, podcast is been a, a fruit of that desire to keep engaging your faith with with smart questions and having a, an opportunity with me to discuss those things and hopefully then I'll carry the missionary work of sharing that discussion with anybody who wants to tune into it. So I think your example of the the constant opportunity for growth in the faith is a really good one. And I would say that you know, to extend that challenge to our listeners, if you're not growing in your faith, if you think you know everything, if you think you've already arrived, if you're, you're stagnant in some way, then, then uh, you're missing a lot and, and maybe a crushing amount. And, that's, and, and maybe because you never really took a step forward, and that kind of comes back to your question and the bishop's challenge. I, I suppose that was Bishop Zubik doing that confirmation. I know that he likes to issue that that challenge of you know if you're if you're not really willing to make a commitment if you're not really willing to adhere to the teachings of the church if you're not really really willing to try you know we all fall short we're all we're all a work in progress 
uh, we're sinners on the one hand, we really do even intentionally things that are wrong, but we're just growing on the other hand, you know, little, little babies who uh, cry out in their own needs and are ultimately very selfish. They're not sinners, but they have a lot of weakness. There's a lot of growth that's taking place. Well, we're, we're all in a place of growth, moral, psychological, emotional, and spiritual growth. That's, that's the descriptive of everybody. But if we're not really willing to grow, if we're not really willing to set out in a direction to go on a mission and to follow the way of Christ and the church, then what are we doing? Then why, why show up to Mass? And I, I suppose I'm also maybe one degree more convicted about this than the average Catholic would because I didn't start out on this path. I was very much opposed to this path. Growing up without any religious affiliation, unbaptized and eventually I would have said uh, atheist certainly agnostic and I made a decision because I found something in Christ and in the Catholic Church that was willing to, that was worth committing myself to to see what happens when I make this when I absorb this value hierarchy when I absorb this set of priorities when I really try to place the God who revealed himself in Jesus Christ on the top of my uh, structure of beliefs, uh, what happens? And I saw enough at a distance to say this is worthwhile, and so I was willing to, to step into it in baptism and then step into it in committed Catholic life and then step into it in monastic life and then in priesthood, and I keep stepping into it. I keep trying to go deeper and really see what happens when I live this faith out. It's a, it's a proposal. It's a challenge to live out the faith. And if that's just, uh, you know, I think about uh, my, my wallet's a lot emptier than it used to be. You know, you have an ID card and I have a college ID card. and uh, But I also have a, a Seton Hill ID card because I taught one course there. And so I have this ID card that sits in my wallet and it really does not form any part of my personality, any part of my identity, because I just taught one course there. You know, it was, I may never teach a course there again. Uh, I don't really have a strong, I'm not saying anything against <laughs> Seton Hill, but just to say, you know, this is a, a little footnote in my life, and I just happen to have this kind of leftover ID card. You know, and is our Catholic faith just a sort of leftover ID card? Because you went to CCD, you, you did the sacramental things, you checked the boxes, you got the ID card, and then Catholicism doesn't really influence our life. Uh, my Seton Hill ID card is very different than my St. Vincent ID card. I'm all in there at St. Vincent. I've given my whole life uh, well, you know, through, through my religious vows to St. Vincent Arch Abbey, and we're deeply tied together with St. Vincent College, and that's a much different kind of affiliation, a much different connection. Now, my, my Catholicism is even deeper than that. My adherence to Jesus Christ is even deeper than that. But, but it's a great challenge for us to take on. You know, how, how much of this really in, informs my life? What, what does this commitment really mean? What does this, you know, aspect of my identity really mean? And is it, is it just lip service? Is it just another card in my wallet? Or is it something that really defines who I am? And yeah, so thanks for reiterating the bishop's challenge to all of us, because all of, you know, even those of us who have been confirmed, 
need to be challenged with that. Take up that question again and, and maybe recommit ourselves today, maybe recommit ourselves in this very podcast to saying, no, I want this really to be an essential part of my identity. I really believe in this. And, and you know, there will be no St. Vincent College and no Seton Hill in heaven. Uh, in heaven, there will only be the Catholic Church. <laughs> and so am I really holding to and committing myself to and pouring myself into that which is lasting, that which lasts forever, rather than all of those things which, while important for a time, are ultimately passing away? Yeah, so as I kind of distill it, as far as the faith, I mean, obviously there's the the direct mystery of faith that we always say in Mass, you know, about Christ came to earth, he died, and he'll come again. And that being the, the mystery of the faith from the spiritual standpoint, but from the practical day-to-day standpoint, kind of what I find most of the teachings being about effectively come down to normally the answer is don't do what's selfish and do what's normally a delayed gratification type answer. You know, at the end of the day, most people would rather have someone serve them than serve someone else. And almost all of the callings that push people away that are these challenges are to put someone in front of you. Whether you know what that exactly means in your individual circumstances are going to vary from instance to instance, but at the core, that's what they all were. And the virtues are that, you know, prudence to know what is the right thing to do, the courage to do it. Um, you know, the, those types of things all kind of boil down to a way that we say now is to fight selfishness. And if you look around your coworkers, your family, your extended family, tend to be the people you want to be the most distant from are those that are the most selfish. And you can see how just going out and serving more and by doing so living the faith, you're going to be put into a better spot. And as we were discussing a couple of podcasts ago about the plenary indulgences, one of the examples you gave were the Cardinal's works of mercy. And all of those are the opposite of selfishness. Those are sacrificing yourself and going out for others. So I might be oversimplifying it there, but it seems to be that that's the practical down to earth way you would say it. Um, as far as being less selfish and more self-sacrificing to other people. So I don't want to definitely don't want to say anything that's outside the scopes of what the faith is teaching or the catechism. But I also want to try to put in the most simplistic terms that people can adhere to today. Because let's face it, that catechism is a really thick book. And you have, you know, a lifetime to read it and integrate it. So start somewhere. Read a page. You know, it's uh, it's a great thing. I really uh, would encourage people, if you tear pages up so that it's a little intimidating to read a, simple, a single page, you know, tear your pages out of your catechism and stack them somewhere. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, the, uh, you're right. The, the ultimate goal is, uh, is to become more like God, who is love. And love is, by its definition, uh, selfless, not selfish. It's directed to the good of the other, 
not simply satisfying my own needs. And so uh, what does a saint look like? A saint looks like someone who's been transformed in love. And then you have to you know, take part all of the subtleties and the love in the most effective way in different circumstances and different people. And uh, whereas love requires a challenge. Anyway, so uh, yeah, certainly the transformation into, into love is useful. It's add uh, another dimension to that that in order to really be transformed that way in into selflessness, it requires a, a also a renewal of our mind. It requires a a renewal of the way that we look at the world, that we look at our lives, that we look at others. And one example would be being able to see an infinite dignity in everyone. So, for example. One might think, well, I, you know, I love my spouse a lot, and so therefore I'm a really loving person. Well, and that's a good starting point. Thank God. Uh, love your spouse and your children uh, by all means. Thank God. So, uh, but to actually be transformed into love, to to really be transformed into a, a Christian, <laughs> can I say it that way? That to be transformed into Christ. We have to learn to love everyone. And so if you feel like you've arrived because you have some love in your heart and you're a nicer person than you were before, uh, thank God that means you're making growth and you're on the way, but you haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. God knows. Uh, there are a lot of people that are hard to love, really hard to love. And we can think of those people in our lives who have difficult personalities and then we can stretch that all the way to people who have done horrific things. Can we really believe in them? Can we believe in conversion? Can we believe in their fundamental goodness that those who have committed atrocious crimes, those who have done horrific things, or those who hold creeds different than ourselves, we know that there's uh, so much division between... <laughs> Republicans and Democrats, you know, to look at groups that are at least united in being Americans. And then we can look at the divisions between Americans and people in the Middle East, you know, that uh, there are great divisions there. Or we can look at religious divisions between, you know, Catholics and Muslims or something. And it's so easy to make the opposite group the unredeemable enemy. Or to basically say, like, you only have value when you become like me, and to make ourselves the pinnacle of, of virtue and perfection. But to actually extend and say, no, every human being has an infinite dignity. Every human being has an infinite value. Uh, now, we all have room to grow, and, and certainly there are some problems. I'm not endorsing uh, any atrocious acts or uh, heinous crimes or anything like that. But to see that that person, to distinguish the actions and the person, and to see that at the, at the ground, the, the fundamental uh, core of the person, there is an infinite dignity, there's that infinite goodness. Anyway, there's a lot of conversion that we need to get us there. And so there's a renewal of our minds, there's a renewal of the way that we look at reality, that we look at events in history, the way that we look at people, the way that we see God at work in our world. And when we really allow that transformation to take place, 
it also has an internal effect on us. We have greater peace and greater trust. We're not as stressed out and freaked out all the time. We can be around people who look at the world differently than we do, that we would consider even enemies and not be super stressed out and anxious. And we can confront that with greater peace and joy, confidence and hope. And so anyway, just to say that along the way to that goal of being transformed into love, unconditional love, infinite love, Christ-like love for everybody, there's a, there's a renewal of our minds that's needed. We need to stop looking at things in a merely American way or a merely Democrat way or a mere, merely Republican way. Those all have truth and you know there's goodness in all of those things. But, but ultimately, we need to look at things in a Christ-like way and try to see through the eyes of Christ, how to see, see the world. And there's a, there's a transformation that takes place in that. Yeah, and that gets to actually one of the topics that I had on my scattered board of things to talk about. And that was the idea that, as you mentioned, there's a lot of people out there who are not necessarily Catholics and they're in different creeds. And we can think of examples that say, okay, this guy still lived what we would consider a virtuous life in our terms. Um, you know, there's many, many examples of that out there. And there's, a, a, I guess, a, a line of argumentation out there that essentially says that, well, they didn't believe in Jesus, so they shouldn't be in heaven. And to me, that just doesn't make sense. Now, I understand I was told that in the second grade CCD, and that was at a second grade level that they were trying to teach to. But I'm assuming once we get to adulthood that, and they actually can teach things in ways people fully understand that with God being love, people who live lives of the virtues, even if they are in a spot in the world where they may never even heard of Jesus, that he still would be welcome um, to the table. So I, I that was the point that I wanted to address here. And since it was, like I said, just kind of led in the conversation naturally. Well, I would uh, thanks for that that reflection. I think it's a really important a really important point. And I I would say here would be my counter challenge. You know, those of us who profess to believe in Jesus, do we really believe in Jesus? <laughs> we we say that we profess that with our lips, but if someone puts a gun to your head, how quickly do you abandon that? Uh, you say that. If you, you know, if you believe in Jesus, then he is more important than life. Are you really willing to lay down your life for him? Well, and are you willing to actually carry out his commands? If you believe in Jesus, then you do what he tells you, which is to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do you do that? So I would, I would counter challenge to those of us who say we believe in Jesus, actually even believe in Jesus. You know, so, so I think that helps to relativize it a little bit to say, okay, um, I'm working on believing in Jesus. You know, me as a monk and a priest, I'm working on believing in him in the sense that I really love him and trust him enough to make radical actions like him, even to the point of laying down my life. I'm working on that. Uh, I like to think that I could do that. Uh, I, I don't, I really don't know. Uh, I'm working on it. So somebody else 
we could say, who, who doesn't know Jesus or has misconceptions about him, is unwilling to uh, say, I believe in Jesus, is unwilling to say the words, that person may actually be very much animated by the Holy Spirit because we know that wherever truth is spoken, that's the Holy Spirit at work. And so a scientist, for example, who explores an aspect of the truth, a science can't discover the fullness of truth, but it does discover some truth, obviously. I mean, that's why we have partial cures to cancer and, and medicines, and that's why we have technology that allows us to fly across the ocean, or frankly, to have this conversation, which we're doing across the, the space of hundreds of miles, you know. Uh, so obviously there's truth there. Scientists have discovered truth, and some of those scientists would say they don't believe in God. But our faith says wherever truth is spoken, that's the Holy Spirit. So that person is actually in touch with the Holy Spirit in, an, in a way that they're not aware of. Likewise, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And so there's no good act. There's no love. There's nothing uh, that's that's worthy of, of God that happens apart from God. And yet we know there are people who say they don't believe in Jesus, who say they don't believe in God, and yet they do some beautiful things. We see that. And so um, there, God is at work in their lives. Uh, St. John said, he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And so, so those who are, who are loving and and there's some real love that happens outside of the church. Sometimes we wonder if there isn't more love that happens outside of the church. That's overly cynical. But uh, but there certainly is love that happens outside of the church. And so those people are receiving grace from God. They haven't come to recognize the origin of that grace, and they haven't uh, they haven't taken hold of it with both hands. And there will be a limit to how much they grow because God does ultimately want us to acknowledge Him. And, and thus to become uh, more filled with him. But I just want to make a, you know, on the, on the one hand, there are those who say they believe in him, but don't really live like it. On the other hand, there are those who live like it, but don't say they believe in him. And maybe there's, uh, there's more similarity there than we might think at, at first glance. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a great... Uh, psychologist who, who teaches a lot now, Jordan Peterson, who is hesitant to say uh, that he's Christian because although he teaches a great deal about Christ, although he has a great insight into the scriptures, he recognizes that you only really believe what you act out in your life. To say, to say that you believe something but to not act it out is, uh, is hollow. And so he doesn't want to say he believes in Christ until he can he feels he can really live out the high standard of Christianity. And so he he lives a, he has incredible insights. He's a great teacher. He's drawn a lot of people. He's done a lot of good by by what he teaches and the clarity that he brings, the meaning meaningfulness that he um teaches and has helped other people to take hold of, but he's not willing to take a step forward in that until he feels like he can really embrace it with both hands and live it out at least to a large extent in his life. Um, I think he's more more Christian than a lot of our Christians in the pews or not in the pews, but who call themselves Christians. So yeah, it's a, it's a little bit more gray than, than we might think at, at first glance. 
And, and one of the keys you just mentioned there was was the actions, because as you said, just saying you're doing something and not backing it up isn't really doing it. it it's it's saying something for for attention, and in a degree, you could argue that that is a form of selfishness. It's just saying what you think someone wants you to hear so that you look or sound better. And that's, that's to me, the, the kind of the root of it is, is to get away from selfishness. As you mentioned in the original, God is love. Love cannot be selfish by definition. So therefore getting away from selfishness will only help. Now, granted, as you mentioned before, you got to do it through Christ. And I think that as we've gone through these conversations, that it can be interpreted different ways. But I think that the gathering that I have gotten from more and more of it is, it's the actions of Christ that matter the most. Um, in our next podcast, we'll, we'll talk about the, the prayer side of it. But the actions of Jesus to be willing to go out and have people literally hate on him and to keep going and keep moving forward to help people. Now, yes, he was doing miracles and, and healing things that no one else could do at the time, but he was also doing very practical things. He was going forward and teaching people the truth, the truth in a way that, you know, no one will really ever be able to understand. So it, it's just a, um, uh, an element there of your actions mattering more so than your words. So with that being said, I don't want to, to, to cut off or to sidetrack you, but I do want to give you the final word as we conclude our cast here today. I guess I, I would just urge our to take the Easter list to the faith and then the concrete reality of how we live out that commitment in our lives do we really act in accord with that faith and so it's a good uh, good point for us to reflect on and and if our commitment's a little bit half-hearted then you know to maybe step that up and say yeah i'm going to really try to live this more effectively i'm going to try and and live out my faith in a in a more convincing way and and that's going to require some little conversion so uh, it's a good i think a good point for us to take up in our own uh, personal reflections perfect and that's something that we get an opportunity with every day every day we're alive we have an opportunity of being selfish or self-giving and that opportunity as you're saying father there is a chance of doing the conversion the self-conversion we've been discussing the last couple of weeks so we thank everyone for listening out there. We thank you for telling a friend and helping us grow. And we will be with you again here next week.